You're listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Brought to you in association with OvertimeIreland.com. Now, here's the OTI guys. Hello there, welcome back to the OTI Podcast. My name's Colin Kelly, your host here on the show each and every week. We bring you a show dedicated to NFL and, of course, looking at it from a fantasy football angle. Today's show is going to be no different than that, and we're going to be talking quite a bit about uh, the differences, you know, regarding coaching and philosophy and that on today's show. So it's maybe a little bit more non-fantasy because obviously we're getting away from uh, we have one game left, basically the Super Bowl, unless you're going to be watching the Pro Bowl this coming weekend. So we'll be diving in a little bit deeper and uh, looking into some of the the different aspects of the games over the past weekend, looking ahead a little bit to the Super Bowl, and talking, of course, a little bit about uh, fantasy football in 2018, where we think some things might change around. And on today's show, I'm delighted to be joined by Anthony Amico from Rotoviz.com. He's also a contributor to 2QB's number five roster coach, and of course, as well, the Fantasy Insiders. There's so much he's got going on. He's a busy, busy man. And he's uh, also does a lot of coaching as well in his uh, other spare time. So, Anthony, how's it going, my man? It's going great. Um, I'm happy to be here. This is like my uh, second or third time now on the show. It's pretty cool. Yeah, so we've uh, done this show a couple of times together. We've done a couple other podcasts together. And we're doing another podcast immediately after this one, which will be coming out for the Super Bowl. So peeling back the curtain there a little bit. If you want to get a Super Bowl show uh, in, in uh, another week's time, you'll hear me and Anthony as well over on Rotoviz Radio. But uh, Anthony, I did actually look up the, the last time you were on the show. It was just almost a year ago. Uh, it was actually like you know two weeks more than a year ago. It was December 2016 just towards the end of last season and uh, a lot of things have obviously changed in that time I wasn't even a part of Rotoviz at the time now uh, me and you are working together on those podcasts so it's uh, been an exciting year getting involved with uh, RV and all the stuff going on over there but I know it's been a very busy year for yourself and it's going to be a busy year coming up too as uh, obviously there's a couple of podcasts that uh, we have in the works at uh, Rotoviz and uh, we'll be plugging those in a little bit and getting diving a little bit deeper into those but I want to always uh, thank the listeners for coming along to listen to the show at the start of the show and of course uh, if you haven't already do hit that subscribe button get the show week after week as it comes up automatically on your feed makes it very very simple for you and of course if you haven't already do give us a written interview if it is on itunes or stitcher or your favorite podcast app they do all help us here at ota it helps other listeners find the show and that is of course much much appreciated so uh, last week obviously was the divisional round uh, or the, sorry the conference round of games and we've seen some fantastic action and uh, we'll be getting to those games in just a little moment but I want to just mention first before we get into it I know a lot of people are this time of year maybe the season's over but maybe you're looking ahead to next season you want to get yourself some merch or maybe you are uh, a Patriots fan maybe you're uh, an Eagles fan and you're looking to get yourself some merchandise ahead of the Super Bowl we can help you out with that save 10% on all orders at NFLshopEurope.com they are uh, an affiliate here with OTI and uh, check them out NFLshopEurope.com get all the stuff up there the same as NFLshop.com for all the US listeners out there click on the link on the OTI website while uh, going to check out and of course then at checkout that saves you 10% automatically off all orders and uh, it's as simple as that so go save some money and help support OTI at the same time and again many thanks to NFL Shop Europe for uh, helping out the OTI podcast so let's get to the games that happened last week obviously the Patriots and Tom Brady they did it again he's got uh, to the Super Bowl at half of the seasons now that he's been in the NFL which is uh, pretty insane I guess that's the first stat we'll start off with Anthony uh, crazy uh, just how consistent uh, Tom Brady has been you know when you put it into perspective as to 50% of all seasons in the NFL he's now made it to the Super Bowl there's there's really no more way to to justify how consistent and how great he has been in his career 
Oh, I mean, it's incredible. That To me, he's the best ever. I know that some will say Montana, some will go maybe some other directions, Peyton Manning. But for me, Brady's the best ever, like you said, 50% of the time making the Super Bowl. Like, we're not even talking making the playoffs. I feel like for a lot of quarterbacks, just making the playoffs that often is a, a pretty major accomplishment. But for him to be making the Super Bowl that often, and, you know, of course it's a team game, and we know that he has a great coach, but I think it really speaks to not only his greatness, but his ability to be consistent, to be on the field, um, you know, to avoid injury, and to just uh, just to steer that ship. Yeah, and when you when you just that is putting it into words, it's hard to, to figure out. Just you mentioned a, a good comparison: players making the playoffs and um, you know p- making the Super Bowl that many times just over that length of his career. It's just uh, absolutely incredible consistency, and uh, year in year out, he seems to get there. Uh, the next part of it is obviously he did it without Rob Gronkowski, who suffered a concussion late in the first half of the AFC Championship. Uh, the Patriots are optimistic they'll be cleared for the Super Bowl, but as of recording this, which is Thursday, and obviously we still have a week to go before the Super Bowl, he has yet uh, to gain clearance, but with two weeks to gain clearance, it would be a surprise if he doesn't make it to the Super Bowl uh, and uh, be starting there for this one. Uh, you know, it's going to be the, the major storyline for the next two weeks is that concussion, but the hit that caused the concussion, what did you make off that hit? Um, you know, Richard Sherman was tweeting out after the game his thoughts on it, saying that, you know, it's kind of, he thought it was a textbook tackle. And obviously, if you're on the Patriots side, you're going to say one thing. And if you're not uh, on the Patriots side, you might think another way. But if we stand on a neutral ground, try and give a balanced opinion on it, what did you think of the hit? I, I did think that, you know, at the speed it happened and how quickly it happened, there is. A very hard case there for the defender to just you know he was I thought he was aiming for the chest but just you know at the the way the angles came about it just obviously was definitely a penalty but I think it's a very very hard one for the defender just to to get that contact correct how do you feel on it yeah I mean we know that just based on the the way the rule is written and the way that it's been officiated the last couple of seasons that that's definitely going to draw a flag but I definitely didn't think it was a dirty hit I thought honestly when I watched the play live that he was going for the football. I thought he was playing the ball really well. Um, you know, it's just a really tough spot, I think, for a defensive player to be in, like you said, and, and kind of just alluding to what Sherman was saying. Um, you know, you're going full speed. It's bang, bang. You don't want to take the guy's legs out either because Gronk has been hurt on a similar play. The last time he, he was seriously injured was on a play where, you know, down the field, guy going for his knees. So you don't want to do that. Uh, you know, so I, I, some of these head-to-head collisions are going to happen just by the nature of the sport. These guys are moving so fast that, you know, even when they go to to bang shoulders, it's kind of like I guess it's kind of gross to think about. But let's like you hit shoulders with someone, but you're moving so fast that your neck just kind of like whips and your heads end up hitting each other. Uh, you know, that's going to happen. But uh, I did I did not think that the hit was dirty. Um, I'm glad that at least right now it seems like this won't impact the Super Bowl. It didn't really impact the Patriots. Uh, ability to win the game or probably well i'm sure it impacted their ability to win the game but they won it anyway uh so i mean that's good to see and I, you know i'm just i'm excited i hope that gronk is able to get out there and we have a, a really great game as a result yeah i i hope obviously i think we all hope unless you're an eagles fan uh, or you don't want the patriots to win you hope that gronkowski can be there you want to have the best players in the biggest games and obviously with rob gronkowski that is the case and you mentioned there you know it was kind of he went in i thought it was shoulder to chest but as you mentioned just the impact swung his head in and that was the helmet to helmet side of it but i think as he went for the tackle i don't think he was going to, to hit rob gronkowski there's people saying that he was going to you know, target and i'm trying to knock him out of the game I really don't think that it happened. And as you mentioned as well, if he goes down low, hits his knee, blows his knee out, 
you know, it's a similar situation that people are going to be saying, um, you know, it's a dirty hit he went and to take Gronk out at the knee. So it's just one of those ones that are very, very tough to, to, to really call. And you've seen as well in the um, the Saints game uh, at that last play with Stefan Diggs two weeks ago that, you know, ta- ta- textbook tackling is a very, very tough thing. And if you miss it, you can be made to look really, really bad. So these guys are playing the game at 100 miles an hour trying to get those hits. So uh, all we can do, I guess, is hope that uh, Gronkowski is back in time for the Super Bowl. But I would expect him to... Uh, you know, concussions are a tricky thing. It can take a while to recover can, and to clear protocol, but I think we'll see him clear it uh, mid-next week is probably my estimation. The other part of the game is obviously Danny Amendola. Uh, over the last two weeks, he's been absolutely incredible. Obviously, this team lost uh, Julian Edelman, uh, you know, so, so early on. And uh, Amendola really throughout the season didn't have a huge part of it. Hogan had a, a huge role throughout the season, but then Amendola the last couple of weeks has uh, had a really, really big impact. We knew the Jags would look to kind of take away Rob Gronkowski. Obviously, then he got injured, and uh, so they didn't have to worry about that. Jalen Ramsey was expected to cover Branton Cooks, and that was the case. But he had five catches, 56 yards, and two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. That's as many touchdowns as he had the entire regular season. His other highlights included a 20-yard completion pass to Deion Lewis. That was the one then that obviously Deion Lewis fumbled, but it wasn't a fumble, so we might talk about that in a little moment. It's only the second pass of his career. He had a 20-yard punt return to set the Patriots up in Jaguars territory at the end of the game. And then, uh, you know, he had the third and 18 play. There was just so many things that went on uh, throughout the game. What what did you make of uh, you know Amendola's performance, and particularly over the last two weeks? I think you know we can talk about Brady and what he's done, but I think Amendola has probably been the MVP for this team over the last two games. Yeah, I mean playoff Dola. You know, it's just any time. <laughs> this is I feel like this is kind of what he's done since he's been here. If you look just even his last you know couple games in these playoffs, like you said, he's been awesome. He had a touchdown and close to eighty yards in the Super Bowl last year. Uh, I mean, this guy just manages to produce. I think that he would probably be a bigger part of the offense more consistently if he wasn't surrounded by such good players. But, I mean, this guy just comes to play. Uh, he's got great hands. I mean, that that one touchdown catch in the back of the end zone was really special. I thought, you know, it looked like the ball was going to go out of bounds. I don't even think the defenders expected him to be able to go get that. Uh, but he was able to get it and get the feet in, you know, uh, inbounds. So just really impressive. Uh, I'm pumped because I think he's kind of like one of those scrappy, smaller guys that it's easy to – to pull for, you know, undrafted free agent, been on a couple of practice squads and then, you know, worked his way to the Patriots and to be a Super Bowl champion. I think that that's really awesome. So uh, I think he's going to keep keep on keeping on because he's he's just that kind of guy is reliable. And the Patriots in Edelman's absence and in Grok's absence last week in particular, have really been able to lean on him. Yeah, you mentioned, uh, you know, a Super Bowl champion. Well, he's already a Super Bowl champion, but I think I think if they win this time, I think he was there for the not the last one, but the one before that too. So he could be a three-time Super Bowl champion if I'm getting my getting my things right. So uh, he's had a, an incredible run here, and obviously came over from the Rams and he got the big contract with the Patriots. He's had that contract in a uh, torn up a couple of times. He keeps going and taking pay cuts. He stays on the roster and. Uh, just uh, making big plays in big times and obviously I mentioned that third and 18 play Jacksonville's uh, win probability at that point in the game was 93.2% so a major major swing uh, from that play and obviously for the rest of the game then the, the way the Patriots went on to win it uh, you know the last couple of times we've seen them obviously they won the Super Bowl against the Seahawks they came back from uh, a lot of points and there was a graphic at one point come up um, you know it was like the last four or five games that the Patriots had won in the playoffs they had you know had deficits of more than seven points uh, you know particular 
stages of the game. I think it might have even been seven points in the fourth quarter. So big, big comebacks uh, are something that they've just been uh, doing time and time again. It seems to be maybe defences are getting tired later in the game. Maybe they run out of ideas of how to stop Brady. Maybe Brady figures out the defence. It's really uh, probably a combination of all those happening, but it's um, you know it's amazing just uh, how they continue to do it. So while uh, Brady and Amendola were firing in all cylinders, Chris Hogan wasn't, and uh, he's somebody who during the season I was very high on, uh, played him in a lot of DFS, but he managed uh, just three catches for 24 yards on eight targets since returning from his shoulder injury, so he missed seven weeks during the season, or sorry, seven of his last uh, eight regular season games, but then obviously when he came back into the playoffs, we thought that he would be straight uh, injected back into that lineup, but he started the season, he had five touchdowns in his first five games, but he's you know, with the injury and now with the playoffs, he's been pretty invisible. Uh, since that point, the other player that I wanted to mention was Rex Burkhead. Obviously, he had been rumoured to be the player that caused the, the stitches in Tom Brady's hand during last week. Obviously, that was a major story. But he was out-touched by Dean Lewis, 16 touches to one touch in this one. He was on the field for just three of New England's 64 snaps, particularly then when the team was in comeback mode. I thought he would be involved a little bit more. But maybe it's their easing him back in after, uh, you know, having that sprained knee at the end of the season. He hadn't played since week 15. But what was your thoughts on both of them? Do you think that obviously the Patriots uh, they needed to win this game and they you would think there would be more usage of them particularly in the fourth quarter but what was your thoughts on both of those guys and the lack of usage overall um, in this one I think this just gets to the Patriots MO if we look at how they've used their personnel on the season according to sharp football stats uh, the Patriots lead the league in 21 personnel that's uh, two running backs one tight end so that means obviously only two receivers on the field uh, they do that 26% of the time and league average is just 7%. So they really lead the league in, uh, by a really good bit in having just two receivers on the field and having the two backs. So I think right now that the way things have been going is uh, they've really settled into having Amendola on the field. And obviously Cooks, you know, is going to be out there. So that's kind of necessitated uh, Hogan being off the field. And, you know, certainly I don't think that they mind getting him a little bit of extra rest. Uh, same thing probably goes for Burkhead. I would imagine they've done a lot of things on the field with James White. Uh, and Deion Lewis together. I certainly think that going forward and you know, with the extra week in between games uh, to prepare, I think that we'll see a little bit more Rex in the Super Bowl as well. I mean, he has been really effective for them lining up all over the formation when he has been able to play. Uh, even early on in the season, we saw them targeting him you know, down the field as a, a wide receiver. So I think that once they can get him back involved, they will do that. Yeah, it's going to be, and it makes it interesting too because obviously they didn't use them a lot in this game and, you know, with the game plan and then from the Eagles side of it looking to what to do to stop the Patriots in the Super Bowl, it makes it very, very interesting because you have the opportunity to get Hogan involved, you have the opportunity to get Burkhead more involved or else you can keep it the same way. So there's a lot of things that the opposition is to prepare for and I think that is Belichick's real goal as he moves through all these games is to have, um, you know, as many possibilities as what he can do at the running back position, at the wide receiver position, what he can do in his game plan to try and uh, make it tougher for the opposition to be able to counter that and then it also means that if the game isn't going the way they want and they have to change things up they have the versatility as well in this offense and this defense to be able to do that so um, you know it's another kind of advantage there for the Patriots and for Bill Belichick. On the Jag side of things you know play call in the fourth quarter was 
um, you know, left a lot to be desired. I know it's easy to look back in hindsight and say, oh, well, they were trying to run the clock out. But the way they went about it wasn't very good. Uh, you mentioned uh, sharp football analysis. i seen Warren Sharp had a, a kind of tread on Twitter during the week talking about this here, talking about, you know, I think it, uh, they had, I think it was nine plays, offensive plays uh, in the fourth quarter and that they uh, hadn't run the clock down to less than nine seconds on any of those. Most of the time they snapped the ball with nine to 13 seconds to go in all those plays. They led with runs on first down, then they went for deep passes on second down which weren't completed that stopped the clock and then uh, you know the the plays on third down obviously didn't get it done so it, it just um, wasn't really good obviously um, what was your thoughts on the the play call in the fourth quarter yeah I mean Warren definitely hit the nail on the head we just not uh not good enough not even just the play calling but just like the clock management in between plays was also lacking to cost them seconds which obviously you know factor in when you're trying to hold off the Patriots from last minute comebacks uh, you know, the the Jags came out with a really great game plan, I thought. Uh, it seemed like they had a really well put together script of plays that they wanted to run. They got Corey Grant involved. They got a bunch of play action. They were able to make some long plays. But then, obviously, late in the fourth quarter, you know, that script is on. We have to just call our offense. We have to establish our identity. And it just became very clear that the Jaguars' identity isn't very good. It's, you know, running the football out of shotgun, which really makes no sense when you're Running back is kind of a freight train. He's not really a lateral, <laughs> a lateral movement guy, you know. In Leonard Fournette, if you're going to do that, do it with Corey Grant. Um, but they were really, really insistent on that. And again, like, uh, and Warren mentioned this in his thread, like the Patriots are going to notice what you're doing uh, rather quickly, especially when you're just going to go through the same series of plays every time. Uh, so I think they kind of screwed the pooch there. Uh, you know, would the Patriots have won anyway? Uh, maybe i mean they're really that good uh, and they certainly earned the game but uh, i think that the jaguars did not give themselves the best chance to win in the uh in the fourth quarter yeah when you look at it you know you mentioned what the patriots won the game i think there's the you know you can look and have the argument there that if the um you know the, the jaguars were able to get another first down or another two first downs i think that might have just uh, bled out the clock and made it impossible for the patriots to come back obviously as well if they'd have picked up a first down and the case was then with that punt return that i mentioned by amandola that got the patriots into very good field position for that last touchdown it just all came about that if they had been able to get one or two first downs i think it would have just made it uh, extremely extremely tough for the patriots to mount that comeback so lots of lots of different bits and pieces to to go into obviously when we're on play call and when we're on dimension at the start of the show you do a lot of coaching yourself um and there's behind the scenes at rotobiz i obviously know that there's a few shows in the works one of those is going to be you kind of breaking down certain uh, play call situations certain coaching terms certain bits and pieces you know short shows each week uh, going through the off season here to, to look at different ideas do you want to mention a little bit about what your kind of ideas are for that show uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm really excited to kind of just use this, uh, you know, kind of take this opportunity to talk about something that I'm passionate about, which is coaching. And I think that I talk about it a lot on my Twitter feed during the games. Um, a lot of the different people, I think, have really good opinions on, you know, what goes into being a coach, what goes into being a good coach. But I think that probably as fantasy players, especially um, who maybe don't have that background, uh, you know, a little bit of insight into kind of what goes into uh, preparing a game plan, uh, going through a bunch of different statistics about you know when teams really should go for it on fourth down, when should they go for two, uh, the value of different things, you know, play action, the screen game, uh, what's a zone scheme, what's a power scheme. I think just kind of going through uh, a little bit of everything. I mean, that's really what I'm looking to do. I'm, I'm really excited to just be able to talk football, and I'm really grateful that Rotoviz is going to give me that outlet. 
Yeah, and I think as well, you know, when you mentioned the different schemes, the different, you know, uh, concepts, you know, if you're talking even play action, you're talking zone defense, a lot of people obviously hear the terms on podcasts, they hear it on uh, TV when they're watching the games, but sometimes I think that people are watching the games, they hear the, the talk, but they don't actually know what it means, uh, unless you're playing, maybe people play Madden and then they can have a better idea, but for the for the people out there that play fantasy football, it just gives a, a huge uh, benefit to be able to know what the other defense runs as their scheme because you'll hear in a lot of podcasts now people talking about the cornerback matchups talking about who's playing in the slot and of course if you know the different schemes the different systems that people are playing you can take advantage of that in fantasy football and then of course just to know the different uh, reasons i'm always interested about the one that you mentioned there going for it in fourth down i always find that an interesting one because i don't think teams go for it on fourth down enough and you see the Patriots a lot of the time then when it comes to the big plays and big key situations, they're never afraid to go for it in fourth down. I think that's something that really benefits them. Teams knowing when to go for it in fourth down is a key, rather than just only going for it in fourth down when the game uh, you're in, in comeback mode. So uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a good show, and I'm, I'm excited to see what comes from it. Uh, going to the Jaguars again, uh, obviously it's probably looking like they might go for another year with Blake Bartles under centre. You know, the team... I think they'll have an opportunity if they want to upgrade a quarterback this offseason. You know, there's people like Kurt Cousins, Alex Smith might be available via trade. There's obviously the, the draft coming up. There's a couple of qu- talented quarterbacks in that, and I know you love to talk draft as well. So the Jaguars, um, if they do cut, uh, you know, Bart- Bartles, there's pretty much a minimal cap risk in it. He has the fifth-year fifth team option, which is 19 uh, Point zero five three million, so basically nineteen million dollars um, is only guaranteed for injury. So the Jaguars could cut him without paying him any money, unless he's on the roster by the start of the league new year, which is the fourteenth of March. So, what do you think they should do at quarterback? Do you think they should just uh, cut ties now? Do you think obviously he played quite well last weekend? I thought it was one of his better games, but they have to severely manage him. They had to get those plays, as you mentioned, scripting the game to start the game. They had to have that done right, get him in there and uh, roll things out. But once those plays ran out, it became very tough. We've seen, as we mentioned, they, they kind of done the same three kind of plays over and over again then in the fourth quarter and it didn't work out. So do you think they should just move on and not be hamstring a quarterback? Do you think they should give him another opportunity? And if they do move on, is it a case of going in the draft or do you think they should go for some of these available free agents? I think that they definitely want to maximize their opportunity to upgrade the position. Like you mentioned, the contract gives them a lot of flexibility. So, you know, they have Bortles, he's committed, um, and they can really just continue to look to upgrade the position all off season, obviously not in public, but behind the scenes. And then, you know, if that doesn't work out, all of a sudden you just say, all right, well, then we're just going to keep rolling with Blake and we'll see what we can do. I, I really don't think that Bortles is a complete lost cause. Um, you know, if you look at some of his numbers, I plugged in a bunch of stuff. Uh, into the road of his screener and you know Bortles first four years of his career looks very very similar to Matthew Stafford very similar touchdown rates interception rates uh, yards per attempt uh, and Stafford I think now has pretty quietly become one of the better quarterbacks in football so I'm not I'm not necessarily ready to say that Bortles is completely done uh, some of these guys certainly take a little bit longer to develop I know we have a a bit of a uh, instant gratification culture but I'm not like totally sold that Blake is is quote unquote bad. Uh, I do think that if they get Kirk Cousins, that would obviously be a, a huge upgrade. I think Cousins is one of the best quarterbacks in the league right now, uh, probably top six or seven off the top of my head. And uh, they would have portals that probably gives them around forty million dollars in cap space. So uh, to sign Kirk Cousins for uh, upwards of like twenty five to twenty eight million a season uh, would give them not too much wiggle room for the rest of the summer, but. 
uh, it probably would be worth it because Bortles is that, uh, I'm sorry, Cousins is that good. And I think that having him with the receivers that they have, who I also think are talented, uh, could certainly bring them a little bit further. Yeah, and no, I agree there. I think if it's a case of paying uh, 19 million to Bortles or paying, you know, possibly up to 10 million more per year to Cousins, I think I'd be going uh, the way of Kurt Cousins. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it all uh, shakes down and jacksonville but it's uh you know i think again if they keep bartles next season i think th- this is the best case scenario with bartles they almost got to the super bowl but again they would have to have a, such a consistent season next year on defense be able to run the ball well and then uh, try and get through the playoffs again so i think if you had a more uh, offensive opportunity with this defense it would obviously help things a lot lot more it wouldn't really be a, a patriots uh, victory without a lot of controversy there's a lot of people talking about the referees and how you know they were very friendly with the Patriots players after the game and so on but I I don't really buy into it there's a couple of questionable calls during the game but there's questionable calls in every game and that's just the way football goes they're not going to get it right 100% of the time and you know if it goes the other way people aren't going to be switching the narrative they're going to probably say oh it's good enough for the Patriots they lost and uh, tough luck to them so uh, the one that I did have a problem with was the the Miles Jack returning on the the Deion Lewis fumble shouldn't it really I don't think it should have been blown dead what did you make of the play overall and uh, the decision to, to blow it dead anyway yeah i mean that's definitely the biggest play of the game right there maybe miles jack isn't down he maybe runs that in for a touchdown and that's a bigger lead and a much uh tougher uh, thing to overcome if you're in new england uh, the being an official is hard like <laughs> I, I know it's like really it's really easy to like rip on these guys it's not easy <laughs> um but i just think that the one thing that the league needs to just keep reinforcing to these players uh to these officials is that we have replay and we can only, with the way the rules are written now, we can only really use the replay if we let the play play out and then we go back and we review it. And I, it wasn't like that up until a couple of years ago where we had like, you know, every turnover is reviewed, every touchdown is reviewed. Um, so I think the refs are a little slow to kind of like pick up to that change just because they have habits that are built up over years. But if we, we just let everything play out, you know, we can always go back. If Miles Jack picks it up and runs for a touchdown, we can always go back and say, no, uh, you know, he was down and then we don't have to worry about it. So I think once that happens and I do think that will happen over time, I think it'll become a point of emphasis. These guys are, you know, pretty smart in their day jobs, the stuff that they do away from officiating. They're obviously very good at what they do to be at the level that they are. So uh, I'm going to trust the system, even though I may uh, complain about it on game day, just because of the big swings and the, you know, all the emotion, obviously, that goes into the game. Yeah, I, I agree. And a lot of people, it's easy to say when you're sitting at home and, you know, be critical, but put yourself in their shoes. It's not an easy job. This game is played so, so fast. We're watching replays in slow motion. Even when you were watching that replay of the, the fumble, like Tony Romo was talking about it, is it a fumble? Do we know? Like trying to figure it out after seeing it four or five times. So it's, it's really, really tough for these guys to do it just so quickly. But I do think the one thing that should be done in a situation like that is let it play out too. A conclusion we do we do see it quite a bit where there is a turnover and it's blowing dead and then the you know it would have been a touchdown the defenders on his way to the end zone and the game's blowing dead so i think just let them run it back then we see the situation uh, and what happens after that it's very easy to change it on replay review but the team that's going to be playing the patriots are the philadelphia eagles they are heading to the super bowl and it's um Something that a lot of people weren't predicting maybe three weeks ago uh, when Foles was obviously starting as the quarterback. We knew that uh, Carson Wentz wasn't going to come back, but they have got there. And this game, the refs really didn't need to get involved. It was uh, pretty much after the very, very start of the game where Case Keenum came down, uh, had the, the touchdown to Kyle Rudolph in the opening drive. It really, really slowed down. So, those, you know, we had the miracle in Minneapolis uh, two weeks ago now against the Saints, but Case Keenum really fell flat in this one. One of his worst games of the season, 28 for 48, he threw for 271 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, one of those going for a pick six. His contract 
is set to expire uh, at the end of the season. He's 29 years old, but he had a, a very, very good season. So I think there's, uh, you know, he should uh, get quite a good bit of money somewhere, whether it's in Minnesota, which we'll be talking about in a minute, or if it's somewhere else. And uh, Adam Thielen, that came out after the game, uh, was playing through a fractured back. So he did uh, have three catches, 28 yards on nine targets. So obviously not quite himself in that one. Nick Foles, though, he went uh, pretty much ballistic in this one. 352 yards, three touchdowns, a lot of uh, deep shots down the field and uh, some very, very nice passing from him. A nice passing touchdown to Alshon Jeffrey. Had a really nice pass on that flea flicker to uh, Tory Smith, which I was very impressed with. The defense wreaked havoc. I mentioned the two interceptions at Keenum, uh, one fumble recovery. So what was your thoughts on the uh, Eagles' performance and uh, was this just uh, pretty much a case of everything going right for the Eagles, them making uh, the Vikings look bad? I thought uh, defensively their scheme was very, very solid in this one. We've seen a couple of times where uh, the Vikings motioned out the, the running back out to the you know out wide and then took him back in to try and see what the, the defensive scheme was. Obviously, this was something the Eagles had prepared for and uh, they changed up the scheme uh, pretty, pretty simply a couple of times and were able to get pressure two falls on this. So was it a case just that the, the Eagles game plan just really took the uh, eagles had a phenomenal game plan obviously i mean i think doug peterson and that offensive staff have done a really great job in the playoffs of managing nick Foles and knowing uh you know what the opponent does best defensively but you know i do also think that there was a pretty big emotional edge in this game uh if you're looking at this from the vikings perspective you know they just went out and, and won a game that they really weren't supposed to win at all a uh, huge emotional swing uh Lots of excitement, lots of talk, you know, and then right away you got to get ready and you got to prepare yourself to to play an even bigger game against an even better team uh, in the Eagles. And you know they were certainly they certainly had key guys banged up on both sides of the ball. You mentioned uh, Adam Thielen, uh, but also Sandejo, the safety uh, on the Vikings side. Um, you know, and they had a couple injuries during the game as well. I, I just think that it, it was a pretty tough spot, I think, for the Vikings to go into to begin with and then obviously philly just completely manhandled them from start to finish or i guess maybe a little bit after the start because the vikings hit score to open but uh total domination after that yeah really really uh, dominant throughout uh, after that i mentioned then case keenum's out of contract but uh, teddy bridgewater says he definitely sees himself as a starter in 2018 obviously that's what anyone that wants to be a starter is going to say but the vikings have big decisions to make a quarterback they have bridgewater keenum and sam bradford all headed to free agency so it's a really strange situation but what do you think they're going to do i think the best case situation here for them is to re-sign uh, bridgewater as a backup maybe get him on a, a lesser money contract and hope that then he's fully healthy and can challenge uh, one of the other two as a starter so you're going to have to pay either keenum or bradford on a kind of incentive-based contract uh, you know that sort of way so i, I i'm I'm more of the situation of trying to keep Bridgewater long-term and seeing what he can do there. But then I think if you're looking for a bridge quarterback, I think Keenum's your best option. We've seen Sam Bradford. He is a very talented quarterback, but he just cannot stay healthy. He's had a lot of different health issues. He has the bone-on-bone issue with his knee. So I I think I would probably be likely to go for Keenum. And I think Keenum, with how his career has gone, would be more likely to take that kind of a lower offer deal than what Bradford's going to want in free agency. What are you uh, expecting to happen? Obviously, Bridgewater has only threw two passes since 2015 because of that knee injury. We don't really know how he is in terms of 100% healthy and how that knee would stand up. Uh, it seems to be by all accounts that he is 100%, but then obviously in the playoffs, we've seen they did dress uh, Bradford rather than Bridgewater in those last couple of games. So with the trio that are there, how do you see it uh, shaking out? And uh, for the guys, obviously, that are the one guy who definitely won't be there out of the three, 
Uh, have you any Lanton spots? Yes, yeah, so there's a lot to kind of unpack here. I, I really don't think that there's any chance that Teddy Bridgewater is coming back. I do think that 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 relationship may be a little uh, ripped up now after you know they just made him completely inactive for the playoff game in favor of Bradford as the backup. Um, maybe it's just a small thing and he doesn't really care about it. But I have to think that you know when you've been itching to play for so long, you know even if it's just as a backup, you want to be in pads and there and, and ready to go and he didn't really get that opportunity. So I, I kind of would see him going elsewhere. Uh, a lower money deal certainly makes sense. I think that a team that needs a quarterback still kind of late in the process may look to him uh, for kind of similar to what happened with Alshon Jeffrey. I know he plays receiver, but you know that like one-year prove-it deal, maybe signs for like $15 million somewhere, $10 million, uh, to start uh, for someone or to be uh, you know in a really competitive situation with either a rookie Uh, or uh, some other veteran. So I kind of would see that that working out uh, that way for Bridgewater. I I hope that he does well. I mean, obviously, I think everyone's really pulling for him after he had that major injury. Uh, I I think that Keenum makes the most sense, like you said. Uh, He, I would imagine at this point, is just interested in being able to start again next year. And I think that if the Vikings came to him like, listen, like we could tag you for 20-something million, 22 million, 25 million, but... You know, we'll sign you for three years, 45, you know, or something like that. I think that he would be amenable to that. I mean, you just have to – there's not. There's only 32 starting jobs in this league, so I think you get offered one and you've come the, the way that Keenum has and kind of won the, ten, the whole city over. I kind of see that being the most likely option. Certainly they could draft someone and just try to go with a cheap option. I think that that's always in play, but I'm not 100% sure it's feasible that they can get a good quarterback uh, picking so late in the draft unless they'd be willing to move up, so – uh, we'll kind of see how all that shakes out. I think Bradford is kind of destined to be a backup in his next phase of his career just because, like you said, the injuries have really piled up for him. Um, he can still sling it a little bit. You know, He's still a decent a decent player, but I don't think that he is one of the 32 best players So at his position. So I would say that he's probably a backup going forward. Yeah, so there's a lot of quarterback changes we're going to see uh, this offseason. You, know, you mentioned the Bridgewater one. We obviously were mentioning the Jaguars earlier on. It would be an interesting situation if they came in a lower money deal to sit behind Blake Bartles. And we mentioned, you know, if they had Cousins at $27 million, but if you had a case where you had Bartles at $19 million and Bridgewater at 8 or $9 million, it's still the same sort of thing. Gives him the opportunity to compete for the job as well, but he wants to be the starter, so I guess maybe that won't work out. We'll, we'll have to see it. You know, we, you mentioned with Bradford as well. It's always the thing of, is Bradford going to settle for that backup quarterback money we'll just have to, to see what works out and uh, how it goes but I think the the talent's always been there with him but the the problem has been just he just cannot stay healthy and, and it's just over and over and over again we talk about players being injury prone and I always say that it's an unfair tag to put in a lot of players but at this stage of, of Bradford's career I think we just have to roll with the, the injury prone has to be a fact with him uh, obviously we'll head on the the Super Bowl in just a moment who we think is going to win that one but just uh, some stuff for 2018 before we get to that we've kind of touched on a couple of topics of players and free agency but one that could be heading to free agency is Le'Veon Bell he obviously could be tagged by the Steelers this offseason he says he doesn't want to be tagged and he has actually threatened to to possibly retire if he was uh, tagged I don't really buy into that one Uh, you know there's gonna be a hell of a lot of money there for him if he is franchise tagged so you know I think uh, that's just uh, you know talking in his negotiations at the moment but I don't usually go with Peter King as somebody that I take my news from but uh, you know Roto World had it up this week talking about uh, Le'Veon Bell and Peter King thought that he could be a, a, a target for the Oakland Raiders if he does make it to free agency. Uh, what's your thoughts there? Uh, you know, the, the the Steelers don't have a huge amount of cap room left at the moment, but we've all seen that 
cap room can be uh, you know moved around very very quickly with teams when they really have a key need or a key player they want to sign up but obviously with so much invested in big ben so much invested with antonio brown a lot of that defense there's a lot of money invested in it because of the age uh, of those players and their second contracts and so on so what do you think is going to happen with bell do you think they, they tag him again do you think he gets a longer term contract or do you think i don't think he's going to hit free agency i definitely think, think it's a possibility, possibility. I, I just don't really see the money right now for them i mean they're already right right now you know with the roster they currently have they're only projected to have like two hundred thousand dollars worth of cap space uh super tight and then obviously you know you're gonna have to have the draft (laughs) and pay your rookies so you know they're they're over the cap really right now um so they're really gonna have to move some things around they're gonna have to let a couple guys go um i'm not really sure how things work out with like the ryan shazier contract because he's due close to nine million next year so maybe that's something that they can um you know kind of like cut him from the roster but then you know maybe do him some good service and keep him on as like a, a consultant or something i mean i have no idea what's going to happen with him with his health so, so uh, i don't think the Steelers would like out and out do wrong to him but if they could save nine million on the cap i'm sure they'd like to find a way to do that um you know so i think just like monetarily it's gonna be really difficult for them to get bell back and I'm not even really sure that it's in their best interest to to bring him back for the kind of money that he's talking about, at least. I mean, they'd have to pay him. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it's in their best. I, I agree. I do agree with that. I don't think it's in their best interest to, to pay a running back on a you know a five- or six-year contract and the money that he wants. It's just going to be so tough. He's going to have to reset the market at the running back position, and any time that happens you know it's just so so when we talk about wide receivers i know they can get injured on any play but they're not taking the contact that the running backs take over a 16 game season you know if you get 300 carries in this season here uh you know it reminded me kind of what the the cowboys done uh, a couple of seasons back with demarco murray where they just decided we're not going to pay him we're going to run him into the ground we kind of you know the amount of touches the bell got this year and the production obviously was there but it's really really tough to to get the ball yeah exactly i mean over 400 touches this season that's just a really really sky high number and his efficiency was down as a result i'm, I'm not 100 percent sure that's the best move for them and they did just draft james connor i mean i don't know what they thought about him as a rookie but it did seem like they were kind of preparing already last year for this you know to kind of unfold yeah uh, some thoughts on a couple of coaching announcements over the last week uh, the giants hired vikings offensive coordinator pat Shermer as the head coach this kind of happened because uh, the lions and the colts had uh, snagged Patriots coordinators Matt Patricia and Josh Daniels so Shermer kind of was the, the last one in the merry-go-round there for the Giants to pick up uh, we'll see what he did he didn't do a great job with the, the Cleveland Browns when he was there uh, he had a good show in, the, in Minnesota we already talked about uh, the quarterback situation with Case Keenum and what he was able to do there he's replacing Ben McAdoo who terrible really had a <laughs> I don't know a, ba- a, ba- yeah, a bad bad time uh, in New York just trying to be nice about it uh, but I don't think I can um, but obviously Ben Steele man in this season for Geno Smith and then he was sacked and G- uh, Eli came back in just really everything went really really sour obviously Odell Beckham coming back healthy there which will help uh, Shermer uh, he's in favor of keeping Manning so we'll see we'll see what happens there I think they're uh, going to draft a quarterback uh, in this one the other ones then were uh, Browns hired uh, ex Steelers offensive coordinator Todd Haley it didn't take him long less than a week in fact after uh, the Steelers decided to let his contract roll out so it'll be interesting to see uh, with the Browns what happens there and then of course uh, we've seen uh, you know Carson Palmer retire and Ar- Bruce Arians retire in this offseason uh, the landscape's going to be a lot different in Arizona but they have hired ex-Panthers defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes 
as their head coach. So what those different coaching changes, is there any of those that uh, you want to touch on that you find the most interesting? Was there any of them that you, you really like the, the hiring? Or well, I, I'm a huge Giants fan, question? so I'm really big on the, the Shermer hire. I thought it was a nice pick for them. They definitely needed to go in another direction, especially offensively. I think they still obviously have talent with uh, you know Odo Beckham and Sterling Shepard and some of these other players, Evan Ingram. So uh, definitely a good time, I think, to make that change. And it does seem like the regime uh, with Gettleman and Shermer, it seems like they're keen on keeping Eli as a starter going forward. We'll see how that works when it comes to the draft because they do pick second overall. But I have a feeling that's going to be Eli under center in 2018. And I'm hoping that he can kind of have one last one last big year and that the team can make a good push. But I do think that Shermer's a good coach. It's been pretty proven, I think, that he uh, you know gets the most out of your quarterback and, and out of your offense. So I'm really excited about that. And I think as well, when you look at it, uh, this team has a lot more issues than just the quarterback position. They are well stocked uh, on the offensive side of it. So I think if they can go and use that early pick or even trade back and try and uh, pick up some extra picks, maybe take a quarterback a little bit later in that first round and then use the other picks to, to work on the defensive side of the ball and get things back on track there. But it's going to be uh, interesting. And uh, I, so far, I've uh, pretty much liked um, all the hires that we've seen uh, around the league. I haven't re- been really, really strongly against uh, any of them. Is there any that you've you've uh, kind of thought that i mean everything the browns do i just think is ridiculous like <laughs> i don't like i mean is todd haley a bad <laughs> offensive coordinator like no but just like under this whole guise of like yeah like oh like they're gonna find a way Hugh to jackson is like oh well if i'm gonna hire someone it's got to be someone that's proven so he brings in todd haley but really what he's doing is just like laying the foundation for if the offense thinks it's haley's fault and if the offense is great you know, he did such a great job bringing him in. So, I mean, it's just the more more of like the voodoo mind games of, of Hugh Jackson as he continues to manage to be employed with a disastrous record in the NFL. Yeah, my one problem, I guess, with the, the coaching hires uh, so far this offseason would be the case that when you look at, uh, you know, the young coordinators who got opportunities last year as head coaches, uh, you know, and Sean McVay um, and um, Kyle Shanahan and the opportunity they were given and what they did with it. And then we see this offseason, it seems to be just like move the the older guys around and their different seats into different teams uh, you know i would like to see some fresh faces on there given the opportunity and you know i think with the younger pl- coaches coming in then we might see a little bit more analytics being used on show but uh, that's uh, a small gripe that i, I kind of have the other one was that the the contract oh that, yeah uh, Gr- gruden got from the upland raiders was uh, absolutely off the charts but outside of that uh, i've had no major gripes so far uh, so on to the the super bowl now the patriots are looking for that sixth lombardi i've, I've said it's six lombardis which would match the Steelers for the most all time and again pretty much uh, the last 17 years is when the the Patriots have been winning those uh, Lombardi trophies so the Eagles are looking to win the first in their franchise history the Patriots opened as a five and a half point favorite with the guys out in Vegas but it's nothing really different for the Eagles who you know even though they they won the conference and they were the number one seed in the conference they've been underdogs against Atlanta and they were underdogs against Minnesota so they've been underdogs the whole way through and this game you know obviously uh, we have Foles a quarterback in it. Uh, that's not ideal for the Eagles, but I, I think there's a lot of ways that this Eagles defensive scheme and offensive scheme match up quite well with the New England Patriots. So I think uh, it's going to be a lot closer game than people are expecting. And of course, then with the Patriots, when they have won the Super Bowls, uh, they have, I think is it, uh, it's been less than three points on all occasions. Um, I haven't fact-checked that, but it's something like <laughs> something very, very low. So uh, what's your early thoughts on the game? As we, yeah, I think the only one that they won by more than three points was last year because they scored the touchdown in overtime. Um, but... <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> true, no, yeah. I mean I agree with you. I think this is going to be a really great game. I think that 
early on it's probably being pitched as a you know oh well the Patriots are gonna win like it's another just wrap up the sixth Super Bowl because they're playing the Eagles and Nick Foles but I think this Philly team has really proven themselves I think that defensively especially they're very very strong uh, Jim Schwartz that's what he's done with their wide nine I think has been really impressive uh, and they have a lot of really great talents on the defensive side of the ball so I expect them to to make this really difficult for New England uh, would I ever pick against the Patriots absolutely not uh, <laughs> I mean like the Patriots, at, like the, uh, between Nick Saban and Bill Belichick, I feel like it doesn't matter how good the situation is for the other team. It doesn't matter how good the spot. You know, they just find a way to get it done, and it's it's really difficult. I think straight up to ever just pick against them uh, to win a football game. So uh, I'm definitely going with the Patriots in this one, but I do think that it'll be close. I think it'll be more of the, uh, you know, uh, Adam Vinatieri, or obviously in this case Goskowski, uh, you know, late moment heroics, field goal wise to uh, to get it done. Yeah, I, f- I feel I feel very similar. It's always hard to go against the Patriots, and I think it's it's interesting at the start of the week how it started off. It was just this is the Patriots. It's a victory walk. They're going to win the game, and we've already started to see people start to say maybe the Eagles have a chance. And by this time next week, people will be saying, "Oh, the Eagles! <laughs> yeah, this is one for the Eagles." <laughs> People's mind, and the the whole media narrative will change. So uh, I think hopefully we're here maybe at the start of it, and that it will be closer than people are expecting. I think it's going to be an interesting game. All games uh, interest me whether. You know, it's two teams you think are going to be closer, whether it's a team that has to really go all out to try and stop another team and be able to be competitive. So it's going to be an interesting one. It's the Super Bowl. It's obviously one that we're all going to want to watch. And, uh, you know, when you mentioned uh, the Patriots and their side of the ball, we didn't mention Stephen Gilmore, who obviously came over from the Bills and had a, a massive contract uh, this offseason. Something the Patriots don't usually do in free agency with uh, players coming in. It was a player inside the division, obviously, so they knew him well. He started the season slowly. People were kind of making a lot of different comments about him. He was overpaid. He He's overrated, but I have to say, over the the last five or six games of the season, he looked really good, and he had some big, big plays and key, key moments uh, off the the game the last day. Uh, have you been impressed with uh, how he's gone? Oh, definitely, and I think that there's no that bigger defense? testament to his ability than the fact that Bill Belichick was willing to give him that contract. We know how much Bill knows about the defensive side of the ball, and uh, you know he recognized on that last throw by Bortles. He said after the game that they'd run that play two or three times before, so he was expecting it, and that's the difference between getting, you know, being able to make that you know, really big games, you know, game clinching knockdown and being a step or two behind and giving it up. So hats off to him for sure. Yeah, and that's the other problem with uh, doing the same plays over and over again in the fourth quarter and running out of plays with Blake Bartles is <laughs> the defense can uh, start to recognize exactly what you're doing and then obviously uh, seal out the game like that. But I just thought I'd mention that I don't talk a lot of defense, uh, defensive stuff on the podcast, but I think he he deserved a shout out for his performance this past week. So that's uh, kind of going to do it for today's show. Uh, obviously, you can follow Anthony on Twitter at Amixa, that is A-M-I-C. STN. You can find all the different work he's got going on, whether it's Rotoviz or Numberfire, all the different things he's he's doing at the moment. Busy, busy man, as I mentioned at the start. Uh, check him out on Twitter. Anthony, uh, obviously we mentioned earlier in the show as well, the podcast coming up, talking the different kind of schematic styles of games, when to do fourth downs and so on, coming up on Rotoviz. But starting next week, uh, you're going to be doing another show with uh, Matt Lamarca up on uh, Rotoviz. We're going to be talking uh, betting lines. So I know that's something you like as well. So another exciting show you're going to be, you're going to be up there on the channel. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm really excited. I mean, Matt is not only one of my good friends in fantasy, but we've known each other since we were in like elementary school. So one of my best friends, we talk all the time. So I'm really excited to to talk uh, sports betting and, and especially for Super Bowl week. So definitely check that out. Laying the points. You'll be able to find that on uh, Rotary's radio coming soon. Yeah, so obviously uh, that one will be specifically about the the Super Bowl. We have a series of uh, shows lined out throughout the off season, which won't just be football related, but then of course, then when the season 
uh, I was about to say, yeah, I'll use the word wakes up, a uh, strange way to describe it when the season wakes up again. Uh, come uh, those uh, weeks, we'll be uh, doing shows, previewing all the NFL weeks. So lots and lots of good stuff coming up there as well on Rotoviz Radio. Anytime I can plug Rotoviz and Rotoviz Radio, I, <laughs> I do as much as I can. But of course, you can follow me as well on Twitter at Overtime Ireland and uh, Next week, yeah, Super Bowl week, we will have a show after that then. There might be a little bit of a hiatus. I have a new podcast coming out, which will be debuted in the week after the Super Bowl. It'll also be a video podcast, and uh, I'm going to be interviewing people from around the fantasy football community, but not about fantasy football. It's going to be about uh, becoming a father, so uh, I'm going to be trying to get advice from all the different people around there. Scott Fish coming up on the first one. We have lots of different guests, Adam Rank. Um, just to, to name two of those, and uh, guys like Rotopat and different folks like that. So uh, there should be interesting perspectives, and I think there'll be a lot of comedy in there as well. So until I'm back with next week's show, previewing the Super Bowl, have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Check out OvertimeIreland.com and continue to spread the word. This has been an Overtime Ireland production.